Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strong Style Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Paul Martinez, and we are back talking. As every week, we're going to talk Gucci Underground, but we're also going to talk night two of the Honor Rising pay-per-view, which was a joint show between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor. Um, they do this every year, and we did review night one on our last podcast. We're going to review night two today, and we're going to start with that. And that took place on February 20th, 2016. We'll get right into this on the card quickly. The opening match was Jay White versus David Finlay Jr., as you guys, I'm sure, have heard me uh, wax poetic on Mr. Finley, and I will continue. I'm just such a big fan of his. By the way, former young boy Sho Tanaka and uh, Komatsu, Yohei Komatsu, I've been mentioning, wasn't sure what had happened to them, and I actually found out they're going to be working in CMLL in Mexico, as well as I believe they're going to be doing some dates for Ring of Honor while they're doing their little excursion before they return to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So uh, I'm actually going to see if I can try to get a hold of some of their stuff. I'm a big Show Tanaka fan, as you guys know, and I can't wait for him to show back up in Ring of Honor. I mean, I'm sorry, in New Japan, uh, but I do want to see him if he is going to be in Ring of Honor. I want to check him out there. And Kamatsu also, a very good young, uh, I can see a very uh, successful junior career for him in New Japan when he returns. Uh, so those uh, two guys I'll be looking out for, and I'm, uh, I might uh, occasionally give you updates on what I've seen from them. But uh, our two resident young boys right now are Jay White and David Finney Jr., and they go one-on-one here. And uh, these guys, have they've wrestled before. They always have good matches. But honestly, I would have liked to have seen them face some Ring of Honor competition, you know? I mean, we're going to see them against each other a lot over the next year. And against New Japan guys, I'd like to have seen them maybe go up against some mid-card talent from Ring of Honor. As I said, I like both these guys, but I'm a big Finley fan. He's just a real throwback as far as ring style. If you watch him, like that's really what I get when I look at him. I see that that old time. And I don't mean when I say old time, I don't mean the '60s or the '70s, but like you know that eight, that mid '80s, early '90s style. Uh, you know. High impact, low aggressiveness. Yeah, he can he can wrestle. He can wrestle you on the mat. He can wear you down with, uh, you know, chin locks or what have you. But it's just he's a bit more of a methodical style. You know, I think about guys like a a Morocco or um, you know a Davy Boy Smith and guys like that. They worked a bit of a more methodical style, and that's what he works. And it really works for me when I watch him. Um, this is really a good fight. Both guys are getting their licks in pretty much. There's a really nice German suplex by Finley, uh, at one point, but White winds up, uh, getting him in a single leg crab, transferring that to a Boston crab, transferring that to a modified lion tamer, and finally Finley taps. Two and a half stars. It was a very good match. Uh, these guys can really work. Our next match, Delirious and Gato team up to face the team of Matt Seidel and Jushin Thunder Liger. The bell rings and Delirious just goes crazy, running all over the place. You know, just getting crazy. Liger's like trying to stay on guard for him to attack. And then Delirious just runs by him, 
tags Gato and it starts biting the ropes. So once again, Gato's rea- Gato's facial reactions uh, in night one and night two are just hysterical. Like he has no clue what to make of Delirious. Seidel and Liger then uh, they must have been watching some old Anderson tapes because they just go right after the arm of Gato. Uh, quick tags and the staying on that arm. There's a miscue by Matt and Liger turns the tide. Then we get some funny stuff from Delirious. Uh, but uh, Seidel gets back on track. He hits a standing moonsault for two. Later, Seidel catches Gato with a high knee strike. Then ends it with the shooting star press. Two stars. It was fun stuff. I don't mind the, the comedy here. It was It was done well. Plus... You know, you got Liger and Seidel, and these guys can uh, can wrestle <laughs> with the best of them. So you get the both, best of both worlds with a match like that. Our next match, Frankie Kazarian versus Dalton Castle. This is a Ring of Honor matchup. I just realized these are not the original boys. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they weren't in the first show either, but I didn't really notice it. They seem to be two young Japanese men dressed like the original boys of Dalton Castle. A lot of comedy in this, but Dalton can wrestle. And once they get to it, it's pretty good. Deadlift bridging German suplex by Dalton for a two count. Back to the Future by Kazarian gets a near fall. The action then really starts to heat up. Castle catches Kaz with a spinning double leg face buster. One, two, three. Two and a half stars. This was a good match once the comedy stopped. Really, they really, once they, once they got serious, this was like a really good match. Our next match, this was, uh, when I was looking forward to seeing Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows, Bad Luck Fale, and Tamatanga faced the team of Shibata, Red Dragon, and Hiroki Goto. Uh, this is the swan song for Anderson and Gallows in New Japan. Uh, they've had a great run. Bullet Club wearing some new black and red shirts. Couldn't really fully make them out, but they looked pretty cool. This match is just a wild brawl. They get Goto in the ring, and they're beating him down a while. And then Shibata comes in, shoves Tama off Goto, and then kicks Goto right in the small of the back again. Goto is visibly pissed, glaring at Shibata at this. I really, I hope Goto beats his ass when he turns. Goto then uh, hits a lariat on, uh, I forgot who it was, it might have been Tamatanga. And uh, Shibata wants to tag, but Goto is just staring him down. Like, I mean, he's staring knives to Shibata right now. So Fish just tags himself in instead. Uh, Goto goes to the floor. He is just beyond, you just see, he's seething right now. We get some great sequences. Uh, later on in the match, though, from Anderson and Goto and Gallows and Shibata, as uh, they're all going at it in the ring. They get the near fall for Doc after he hits a Gallows pole, but Shibata comes back, gets him with the PK for the victory. Uh, three stars. This was a really good match, um, you know, coupled with the storyline that's going on here with Goto. Uh, after the match, the fans chant for Anderson and Gallows. Tama and Fale bow to their partners while leaving the ring. A very emotional Carl and Doc bow to the crowd. Then kowtow to the applauding crowd chanting, We love you in English. They are fans in tears. I can't lie. I got a little misty seeing this. Not so much. 
I got Missy, Misty, I should say. Missy, uh, Missy Hyatt's might have been in my mind for some reason. Uh, I got a little Misty, not because they're leaving New Japan, which I'm not happy that they're leaving. I'm not. But seeing how much the Japanese crowd thought of these two guys chanting we love you in English, you don't see uh, New Japan crowds doing English chants. <laughs> they don't chant much at all outside of, you know, maybe Okada or something like that. So this to me was huge watching the crowd reaction to these guys. You know, just to have two guys in wrestlers who are heels. I mean, Bullet Club are, without a doubt, the biggest heels in the company. And they're getting this reaction. To me, this was a big thing. Like I said, I'm not happy about them leaving. But I got to say, Carl Anderson is one of the most underrated guys in this business. And I am happy that he's hopefully about to make some good money and get some notoriety. And I hope it works out for him. You know, um, I I have doubts. I've spoken about this about all of them, Naka, AJ, all of them. I'm not sure that this is a great move. As far as your brand goes, WWE has a habit of bringing in guys who are stars elsewhere. And when they leave, they're not stars anymore. That doesn't mean it's going to happen with these four guys. Not at all. But going on a track record, that's what's happened. But they will make money. And, you know, in the end, you're, you're doing this. Yes, you're doing this, I'm sure, because they love the business. But they're doing this to get paid, too. <laughs> and they're doing it for free. And so they deserve to make money. They deserve to have money to, you know, for their families and take care of their families and what have you. And for that, I can't fault them. I just hope that it works out. Okay. Our next match. Tetsui Naito and Bushi of Los Ingobernables takes on the team of Moose and IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Kushida. Fans love Moose. <laughs> and he starts off hot. Fans are just chanting Moose. There's another guy who got an English chant. Uh, they're chanting Moose throughout, and he's uh, just taking apart Naito and Bushi. Of course, Evil then has to get involved, which puts Los Ingobernables in control for a while. Uh, Moose does later on hit an impressive dropkick, knocking Naito from the top rope to the floor. Um, which gets him out of the way for them to grab Bushi. He hits a pop-up clothesline, which the timing was a little off on. And then he hit, which to be absolutely honest, was a rather weak-looking spear in Bushi. He does get the one, two, three. Two stars. It was a match. I really didn't get to see enough of Kushida here. And um, Moose looked, you know, as it can happen. I honestly think Moose, for the time he's had in the business, is really just great. But he's not polished, and that kind of shows up, I feel, when he's working with guys he hasn't worked with before, and that's what happened here. Especially in that spear. That spear looks terrible. Our next match, Tanahashi teams up with Michael Elgin and Roderick Strong to face the Chaos team of Kazusuka Okada, who, of course, is the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, Tomohiro Ishii, who is now the Ring of Honor Television Champion, and their partner Yoshihashi. A uh, lot of animosity here between Ishii and Roddy. Um, also, hard to tell you who's the most over guy here, but it might be Michael Elgin, which would surprise me to think anybody would be over more than Okada or Tanahashi. But, I mean, 
everybody pretty much got cheered. Uh, but I think Elgin got the biggest cheers. He's just becoming a big star in New Japan. And, you know, if, if he continues to do like AJ and work both promotions, that's great. But if I'm Michael and I'm in a choice where I can only work one, I'm staying in New Japan. <laughs> I think his options were much higher in New Japan than they are in Ring of Honor. And as far as it goes the match, he's just manhandling Okada at the onset of this match. Uh, but uh, they get the tag, and, uh, you know, Tanahashi gets in, and they get the heat on him for a while. Uh, Roddy gets a hot tag. He runs wild. He catches Ishii in death by Roderick. He gets a two-count from that. Elgin then is in. He hits Yoshihashi with an inverted, twisting face-first powerbomb. Great spot. Uh, Yoshihachi catches Big Mike with a lariat for a near fall. Elgin comes back after a really good exchange. and hits the buckle bomb into an Elgin bomb for the three count. Three stars. This was very good. Uh, Elgin especially was fantastic tonight. I mean, I'm telling you, I am. I liked Elgin in Ring of Honor. I love Elgin in New Japan. Uh, he's, he's just going on a different level right now. Okay, our next match is for the IWGP Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Championship. And our champions, Toru Yano and the Briscoes, team up to face Kenny Omega and the Bucks, known as the Elite. Um, still, more and more, as I see, I saw no Bullet Club anything here. I just really feel that they didn't really make an official leaving, but... Doesn't really look like Omega and the Bucks are part of the Bullet Club at all anymore. They've got their own little faction called the Elite. And as you can imagine, uh, the action here is wild. The Bucks are so entertaining. You know, I know it's got to eat Vince up that they told him they had no interest in working for him. It's got to. They are so entertaining. I know people would say, ah, they're small and Vince wouldn't do nothing with them. And you're probably right, and the Bucks probably know that. Bucks probably know if they signed, it would be buried. And to their credit, they're making tons of money on indies, tons of money in New Japan. They're really the hottest independent act in the world. I don't think they needed to go to uh, WWE, so good for them. Back to the match, Yano is taking a beating until he uses the corner pad to beat up the Bucks and Kenny and make the hot tag. And so his team, the Mark, takes control for a while. But then Mark gets caught with a triple super kick. Omega covers for a two count. Uh, then we get a crazy sequence where Yano basically outsmarts all three of his opponents, plus Cody Hall too. Yano, though, gets that cold spray right to the eyes, right in front of the referee, mind you. Uh, but <laughs> never disqualifications in New Japan. We get a double indie taker on the Briscoes. We get a modified more bang for your buck. Kenny covers Yano. One, two, three. We have new champions. Three and a half stars. This was so much fun. Um, that match of the night. Uh, this was, uh, just, just a really, really well worked match. A great combination of action, some comedy, high flying, high impact. This match had it all. The one thing, though, again, I've been saying this for a little while now, 
is Jay Briscoe. Very little from him in this match. I'm wondering if he's hurt and they're kind of hiding him in these six-man tags because uh, it's Mark and Yano who wrestle, to me, 80% in these matches. I see very little from Jay in them. Omega now, by the way, a double champion in New Japan. This guy's on fire. Time for our main event. And it's Jay Lethal defending the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight title against Tomoaki Hanma. Hanma Mania running wild here in New Japan. Interesting that Makabe hasn't been on either show. He might be nursing an injury. As I kind of remember, if you remember one of my reviews, I remember him doing very little in that last defense against Gallows and Anderson. He kind of stood on the outside of the ring the entire match. So I didn't hear anything, but I'm thinking he might have gotten hurt in that match, and that's why uh, we haven't seen him. Uh, after a distraction by Truth Martini, Jay sends Hama to the floor, and he hits those triple suicide dives. Both men doing a good job getting in their signature spots. Jay goes for a lethal injection, but gets a torpedo coquetchi right in the back. Uh, they battle on the floor. And Ahama gets him down, goes up, and hits a top rope Kokechi to the floor. They rolls him back in the ring. Hanma hits a missile Kokechi, then a conventional one, then goes up for his top rope one. He misses. Referee toss and clear, then a little while later gets wiped out accidentally by Hanma. Evil and Bushi of Los Ingobernables run in and attack Hanma. Uh, Truth Martini hits him over the head with the Book of Truth. But Hama no-sells it, lays all three of them out with right hands. Then Naito comes in, kicks him low. And then Lethal finishes him off with the Lethal Injection. One, two, three. Jay Lethal retains his title. And uh, after the match, Lethal, who was standing with Truth and the LIJ, asks Hama for a handshake. Inexplicably, Hama agrees to this and gets green misted by Bushi. He rolls out the ring is, you know, in pain from the ink. And afterwards, while he's being intended to, we get a couple of promos. Naito basically proclaims the Japanese that Jay Lito and Truth Bartini are part of the Los Ingobernables de Japón, which of course is the ungovernables of Japan. And, you know, I'm going to give everything, the match and, you know, the post-match and everything, I'm going to give it three stars. Um, very interesting from what it looks like. It's going to work itself into a tag team program with uh, Great Bash Hill and LIJ. Uh, I think that's what we'll probably see uh, coming up after the New Japan Cup. So, you know, that, that should be good stuff here. As for the show, it was an overall better show than night one. But there was no match close to how good Roddy and Ishii was. But like I said, up next, New Japan Cup is the next big thing. And my early prediction is, last year, I said it would either be Nakamura or Ibushi. And it was Ibushi. This year, I'm saying it's either Naito or Elgin. Elgin's my dark horse. I can see Michael Elgin winning this right now. He's way over. I know pretty much everybody's picking Naito. That's the smart pick. But... My dark horse is Elgin. Let's see what happens. All right. Uh, and let's go on now to Lucha Underground Report. This is Lucha Underground, episode 206, entitled Gift of the Gods Ladder Match. Kind of <laughs> an on-the-button title, if you will. 
as, of course, we know that will be our main event. The show opens with Mil Wetes kneeling at an altar. Katrina shows Shayna she was summoned. He says to her, that's right, Mill finally speaks. He says, you let them fight each other instead of me. He says he should have sent them into the darkness weeks ago, but he listened to you, meaning Katrina. Katrina then recalls how she has known him since he was a little scared boy in the rubble. He grabs her by the throat and tells her he can bury her too. He wants Puma and Pentagon tonight. She says no and teleports away, leading Mill to roar in anger like a lion. Uh, okay. My patience is running a little thin with these storylines not having any continuity from last season. Now, all of a sudden, Katrina has no fear of Mill. It's almost like Mill is her lackey. It's almost like whoever scripted last season has nothing to do with this season's writing at all. I don't like that. This is not stressed so much how this is not a typical wrestling show. I feel this is a television drama about wrestling in this, you know, mystical place. You know, an earth, an alternate earth where we have mysticism and magic and what have you. You know, that's what I look at this show as. But if I'm going to look at your show that way, then I'm going to judge you the way I would judge any other drama. Which means your writing has to have continuity. And we'll get back to this again in a little while. Uh, We'll get to it right now because Sexy Star is in the ring. Okay, so we're just not going to explain anything here. She was effing kidnapped for six months. Gets free. Is chased by her, who is apparently such a shock to see. We saw Max's face of disbelief and bugged out eyes when he saw her. We still don't know who her is. But now, like nothing, she's wrestling? What the hell? Did I miss an episode? What the hell is going on? Well, the match is Sexy Star versus Cobra Moon, our favorite. <laughs> This match is in slow motion. Now, at first, I have to be honest, I was wondering, were they doing this like to play up Sexy's injuries, that she's not at her best, so she's moving slowly? But then it came apparent that it's because of how bad a worker Cobra Moon is. Cobra does hit what looked to be a nice spot. Um, I'm not sure what to call it, but she has Sexy in a hammerlock. When Sexy has her legs wrapped around Cobra's waist. Then she just drops down to the mat in a sit-up position, torquing a sexy shoulder. And I mean, when you just look at it, you're like, ooh, that must hurt. But then when you think about it, why would Sexy wrap her legs around her so that she could do that move? Or whatever. Um, I just think they really were trying to find something that looked good to help Cobra Moon. Sexy gets Moon in a pendulum surfboard, but Marty the Moth shows up in the stands. She sees him, she releases the hold as he looks like she's in uh, PTSD or something. And then, after she releases her, Cobra does locks in the Dragon Sleeper, and Sexy Star taps. One star. 
This match was terrible. The entire psychology of the storyline is almost TNA-like. Really, what's happened to this show? I mean, really, like, I want to grab Robert Rodriguez and shake him. What's going on? Like, you guys are really not paying attention to what you had going last season. I know they wanted to stress more on storyline this year, and I'm fine with that. But there's a way to transition these storylines that don't look so, you know, like a natural course of things. There's no natural course. It's just things happening for no reason. And things not being explained. It's really frustrating. So, then we get another famous B commercial. Okay. He's saying he's a king of underground fighting. Uh, really? Um, then he's beating up two masked scrubs who are standing on the car lot there with him while saying while saying the commercials, you know, about call famous being and what have you, and he's hitting him with, like, comedy strikes, like nut shots and what have you. And then he says he can help you be a great fighter, too. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is happening here. Then we see, all of a sudden, that it pans back that it's a television screen and that Dra Dragon Azteca Jr. was watching the commercial, but Ray turns it off. Which pisses Dragon a sticker off. As uh, Ray starts to attack Dragon. Ray tells him, you have no time for TV. Training is the only important thing right now. You got to get ready. So they continue to spar. And they're actually doing, if you're familiar at all with martial arts. And not that I'm a martial arts expert. I'm not. But they are doing Wing Chun. Um, which is a form of Kung Fu. And... It's actually been featured, if you guys have been familiar with the Ip Man Trilogy, which Ip Man Part 3 just released in some small amount of theaters throughout the uh, America recently. But uh, this is uh, Ip Man who was known, he was the man who was teacher of Bruce Lee. And, uh, you know, some very, very popular Chinese films about him uh, that have been circulating in America as well. And uh, what he's known for is Wing Chun Kung Fu. And that was actually what they were practicing here. So I thought that was pretty cool. As for Famous B, I really don't know what to say about him. Um, <laughs> this show has been so strange this season. We then get a King Quinner video talking about him being a hunter. He's hyping the ladder match, saying once he wins, he will no longer be a hunter. He will be a god. I got to say, thank God, one thing that has not changed this season is these awesome hype videos. Uh, nobody comes close to as well as they do it. And, uh, it's really good stuff. Then we see my future wife, Melissa Santos, looking divine in a fantastically cut dress. Uh, she introduces the next match, which is Prince Puma versus Pentagon Jr. I mean, this is a great match to, uh, you know, it's... Everyone's talking about that ladder match, but this match didn't get nearly enough uh, hype. This is a big match in Lucha Underground. It's as good as to be expected. The action is faster than I could take notes, really. Both guys hitting each other with move after move. Pentagon at one point hits a sling blade. Puma hits a twisting plancha. Uh, then Puma winds up hitting a slingshot senton. Uh, into the ring. Puma then tries a handspring move, but he's drop kicked midway. 
Superman punched by Puma, then hits a, his that Northern Lights vertical suplex combo with his, then lands a running shooting star press, gets a two count. And then we see Lucha Underground Champion Mil Muertes appears at the top of the stairs watching the action. Pentagon hits the Destroyer. Um, he gets a near fall as Mil Muertes begins to descend down the stairs. He rips off the arm sling angrily. Vampiro comments that Mill is pissed. And definitely looked like he was. Uh, Pentagon seems to be setting up for the packets power driver in the ring. But Mil Muertes enters and gives Pentagon, Pentagon Jr. a modified rock bottom is the best way I call it. That Yeah, I would say, I mean, I guess you could kind of call it maybe an STO in a way. I really looked at it as more of a modified rock bottom. Puma then super kicks the champ, but he just eats it like nothing and then delivers the deadly right hand that drops Puma like a sack of potatoes. Then he spears both of them, picks them both up, gives them double flatliners. Uh, Mil Metris just destroys both Puma and Pentagon Jr. Wow. I give everything, including the post-match angle, three and a half stars. This was a great way to reestablish Mil Muertes as a monster. Uh, we return from the break, and we see Mil and Katrina walking through the catacombs. And she says, all he needed was a little motivation. Mil says next week, he wants to defend his title against both of them. It's his temple. No one can defeat Mil Muertes. He walks on as we see Katrina watching with a sly look on her face. So, uh, wondering, I don't know. Like, I would usually say it doesn't make no sense for her to turn on him, but the way this season's going with storylines making no sense, who knows? Uh, Stryker then, as we go back to the ring, he lets us know that in three short weeks, we are getting the return of Aztec Warfare. Best match probably of season one. I can't wait for that if you're not familiar with Aztec Warfare. I would say think of it as a Royal Rumble that is pinfall or submission. Not, you know, not uh, over the top rope. That's how I'd say. It's a pinfall submission Royal Rumble match. Uh, 20 men. Which, that's what it was last year. I'm assuming it'll be 20 again. Then we get our main event. It's time for King Quano versus Phoenix. It's a ladder match for the Gift of the Gods title. Took notice of where the Gift of God's belt was hanging. It wasn't hanging on a hook like you usually see in title matches. It was actually on some sort of, I don't know, this, uh, I don't know, this construct, uh, this metal construct that was there when the belt was, uh, up against it. Which we'll see, uh, a little later in the match, uh, I guess why it was done that way. So, of course, they found the grimiest, dirtiest looking ladders ever for this. <laughs> you even heard at one point, um, Vampiro, like, like, making reference, like, these ladders are probably, like, disease ridden <laughs> with blue, dried blood all over them. It's funny stuff. Typical ladder match stuff early on. Quino power bounds Phoenix onto the ladder at one point. Uh, Quino sets up a ladder outside Katrina's office. Quano is pretty much in control, really in control, and we see some blood from the mouth of Phoenix after he got dropped face first across the ladder. Phoenix tries to whip Quano into the ladder, but he jumps onto it and springs back with a flying lariat. 
later on, Phoenix does start to come back. He hits a sick swanton over a ladder onto King Quino from the top of Katrina's office. Uh, crowd, Vampiro is giving a standing ovation for this spot. From that point, they start to blow into the crowd. We got dueling chants going. Um, this I just love this crowd. Uh, one of the best things about Lucha Underground is the crowd is incredibly hot. I would love to go see a, a show live. Uh, Phoenix is then shoved off the balcony and onto a ladder. It was a nasty bump. We have an extra official that comes out now. Um, they're seemingly very concerned about Phoenix and his hamstring. Of course, being that this is a scripted TV drama, I didn't really think Phoenix was hurt, but it was a nice sell job. Uh, Quino tries to ram a ladder into the head of Phoenix, but he misses and hits the post instead and injures his bicep uh, into, as he crashes into the rung of the ladder. This match has just been brutal. I mean, these guys are taking a lot of sick bumps. Uh, both men climb the ladder in the center of the ring. They both grab a hold of the construct that was holding the belt and kind of fall away from the ladder. So they're both hanging and uh, they hit each other and both crash to the mat. King Quino then hits the throw of the hunt, resets the ladder, but then doesn't go up. He goes under the ring and gets a table, sets it up in the corner. And he puts Phoenix kind of in a fireman's carry position and starts to climb the ropes. And you see he's going to look for the throw of the hunt through the table. But he gets uh, Phoenix, like he elbows a few times and escapes and hits a springboard hurricane runner which sends Quano through the table. Phoenix then scrambles up the ladder and wins back the guy, the um, gift, I should say, of the God's title. Four stars. This was a great ladder match. Uh, really brutal, brutal. Not a lot of high flying. There was some high flying spots, but there was a lot of brutality in this. And uh, which is why Lucha Underground kind of, you know, they pride themselves on the violence. You know, that's Dario's thing always. And so, you know, that this just goes to show that's the kind of match that it should have been. Really well done. Um, this is, I haven't said this about many matches on Lucha Underground so far this season, but this is the one you really need to try to get a hold of and watch. Really, really good stuff. Well, once again, the second half of the show saves what could have been a disastrous first half. I got to admit here, I'm very concerned. I spoke about this earlier in the show. I, I'm very concerned with the lack of a concise storytelling. But the in-ring action has always been excellent. Whenever Cobra Moon isn't involved. No Dario tonight. Boo. Uh, hopefully we'll see him next week. And hopefully I will see you next week too. I don't know um, if we'll have anything. Um, I may try to get something else to watch to go along with the Lucha Underground Report. But if not, we'll just talk Lucha Underground next week. Uh, and thanks, as always, for listening. And until that time, bye-bye.